welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. So glad to have you joining me today as I have been running around like a crazy person. Um, as I am finishing up this intro and closing piece of this week's episode, we are just about eight, eight, yes, eight days away from the Pegasus World Cup. So you all know that I've just been going a little bit crazy, gearing up towards that big day of racing at Gulfstream Park. But really excited. I'll have some special guests um, in relation to the Pegasus World Cup on next week's episode. So that'll be pretty special. And it's also coming on a year that I've been doing this show because I remember talking about um, some Pegasus runners on uh, for last year's in the ring. So pretty crazy how time flies when you're having fun. But we have some great guests today, speaking of having fun. And one of our guests is also uh, one of our sponsors. And so we have a big thank you to say to Adelphi Racing Club and Adelphi is a racing club of like-minded people who enjoy horse racing and the camaraderie of being a part of something bigger than themselves. It's truly a community. Adelphi's founding partners have all owned horses in other partnerships and syndicates as well as on their own. And the overarching goal with Adelphi is to blend the benefits of solo ownership without the administrative hassle with the thrill of the partnership experience. Adelphi offers an interactive ownership experience with real-time access to other partners, trainers, bloodstock advisors, and other members of the team. Adelphi partners receive frequent multimedia content on their horses, including videos, photos, and partner-only podcast content provided by the In The Money media team, as well as premium on-track and off-track hospitality experiences. Adelphi has an exciting class of yearling prospects by horses such as Street Sense, Lauban, Frosted, and Taprit, and will be launching a brand new claiming and private purchase partnership in January. Join the club. Ways to get in touch, you can go to AdelphiRacing.com, email matt at AdelphiRacing.com, Go on social media, on Instagram, it's at Adelphi underscore racing. And on Twitter, it's at Adelphi Club. So with all that said, let's learn a little bit more about the club and about uh, the big guy in the driver's seat, Matt Kittay, are going to be my first guest on the show. I'm really excited to have a chance to speak to Matt about his history in racing, the Adelphi Racing Club, and so much more. So I hope that you enjoy this week's episode of In the Ring. There'll be another special guest after Matt as well, so make sure you stick around and listen to the second part of the show as well. Very excited to welcome in today's guest, Matt Kater. You may know him primarily on the New York racing circuit. Um, now much more partnerships with Adelphi Racing, and we're so happy to have them as part of the In The Money Media team as well. Matt, really looking forward to having you on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, we'll talk a little bit about buying horses, claiming horses, and Adelphi as well. But first of all, I kind of want to go back to the beginning with you because I, I actually haven't heard this story myself what was it about racing that really captured you? How did you get into this game? You know, so I, I've, I've always loved horses, like from a young age. Um, my aunt and uncle had a, a farm um, that retired racehorses would go to. And, you know, as a kid, you know, I'd go to their house a few times a year. Thanksgiving, like specifically, I would always kind of remember that. And, uh, you know, one of, one of the parts of Thanksgiving every year was going to the going to the barn and seeing the horses and, you know, I just kind of, you know, fell in love with the animal uh, first and foremost. And then, you know, from there, you know, as I got older, got more into sports in general, uh, I was also like really interested in, in the betting aspect and the handicapping aspect and, you know, started following the triple crown. Like a lot of people do, you know, probably in my early, you know, teen years. And then when I moved up to New York, I moved to New York when I was 19, 
um, I discovered the uh, the New York City OTB, which uh, I spent many many a, a, a Saturday and Sunday in, um, you know, for the better part of a few years while that you know still existed in New York City, and you know started handicapping and betting horses and and just wanted to get more involved in the game, and so um, I actually ended up joining a partnership as a partner, you know, just taking sort of like a share of a horse here or there. Uh, so I joined Sovereign Stables, which isn't active anymore, but the uh, the Gatsises that run that. Um, have had a lot of success since Sovereign with with different horses like Vacoma and Funny Guy and and whatnot. And uh, I had a really good experience with them. And, um, you know, luckily, uh, about five years ago, I was fortunate enough to sell a, a business that I had started uh, in a completely different industry and, you know, put me in a financial situation to be able to, you know, start buying and selling my own horses and, you know, went out and claimed my first horse and bought a few horses at auction and have just kind of been growing it since then. How rewarding is that when you feel like you've been able to gain that knowledge and play a role in in buying the horse or or even if it's claiming a horse you know picking out a horse that you want to see running your silks or running a partnership and you see that horse do well i'm sure there's there's just an added element of having a, a piece of the process of getting that horse into your silks for for sure and I, look i think you know if, if we're talking about things like going to a, a yearling auction and 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 picking out a horse you know that's you know i, I think as owners in this game, and, and some owners probably are in a different situation than me, but but certainly from my perspective, like I'm not going to ever know as much as my bloodstock agent's going to know or my trainer's going to know. So you know, when it comes to those sorts of things, you know, really rely on on them, and you, know, you have to have a good you know relationship and, and trust between you, and and, and you know just kind of know that they're looking out for your best interests. And um, you know, from from that perspective, I, you know, I kind of view my responsibility as an owner or someone who's running a partnership. Um, as sort of setting the direction of, of what those guys are going to go out and do. Um, you know, do I want to buy fillies or do I want to buy colts? You know, am I looking for grass horses or turf horses? If I am going to buy a filly, am I focused on buying a filly with pedigree so I have a better chance at residual down the line? Or am I okay just buying the best physical? Like as an owner, I think in those circumstances, like the best that I can do is provide really clear direction on what our goals are um, and what I'm interested in buying and then let those guys do the work. Um, you know, on the claiming side, um, you know, it's a lot of fun, you know, as someone who handicaps because I can get a bit more involved in that. You know, I, I know enough, you know, from from betting and handicapping horses, um, you know, to be able to have some solid opinions on, you know, do I like this horse versus that horse? Because I've seen them run and, and, I, and I, you know, have a better sense of sense of it from that perspective. Um, and, and so, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the claiming game is is probably the most fun because, you know, I get to get involved from that perspective. And then I get to hear, you know, the perspective of the trainer on, you know, uh, things like their physical condition and health and, and you know, different, you know, sort of, uh, you know, angles like that. So it, it's a combination. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's, it's rewarding when you have, um, you know, a success, right? When you do something that's, that's smart um, and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, handicapping a race and, you know, finding that 13 to one shot that, that runs down the favorite at the end. You know, it's, it's a very similar uh, you know, feeling. I, I guess I'll, g- I'll give you one example that's like a good, fun one. Recently, um, I, I raced some horses down in West Virginia at Charlestown, and uh, I went to the uh, the December sale, the uh, the Phasic sale in the Mid Atlantic, the Horses of Racing Age sale, and you know, we were just kind of looking for a cheap horse to run down there, and we ended up finding a Kentucky bred um, by Swiss Yodeler, um, who was kind of like a maiden ten type uh, at Monmouth and similar tracks, and you know, we thought he'd fit West Virginia in general, but um, we were able to kind of do a little bit of research into it. We discovered that in West Virginia, um, there's not West Virginia bred races. There's West Virginia accredited races. 
And to be an accredited horse, you can be bred in West Virginia or uh, your stallion can stand in West Virginia. So even though this horse was a Kentucky bred, Swiss Yodler stands in West Virginia. So, you know, we kind of realized that we could bid on this horse, you know, pay a couple hundred bucks and convert him into a West Virginia accredited horse um, and run him in West Virginia, you know, protected races. And so we did that. We actually ran him last weekend, um, you know, West Virginia made in special weight and he won. Um, and that was just kind of like a good rewarding experience of like, you know, those are the kinds of things I feel like, you know, from an owner's perspective, you can get involved with, you can kind of find those angles. And if you can marry that to the right bloodstock agents and the right, you know, trainers um, and, and you know, sort of get their expertise and opinions as well, you know, you can have a good amount of success. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's definitely rewarding and fun. Mm-hmm. I love that story. And I think, you know, being by the fact that he's by a stallion named Swiss Yodeler would be reason enough to take another look at him too. Um, but obviously, you know, this this podcast, we focus on the sales and, and pedigrees and things like that. But I think that claiming, and you kind of touched on this a little bit too, is almost an extension of that. You do have to look at the pedigrees. You do have to, you have some more form to sink your teeth into versus going to a two-year-old or a yearling sale. So what are some of the things when you are claiming horses that you tend to look for? You know, it's a variety of things. I think, you know, know, um, I always start with, you know, conditions, um, you know, where is this horse running? You know, wh- where can I go with this horse? Um, you know, the example that I just gave with the the horse that we bought at auction is kind of like a, you know, a wild one, but you know, the fact that we could convert him into a West Virginia bread and run against West Virginia bread company instead of open company is a huge deal. Um, you know, when you're claiming horses, um, you know, occasionally, you know, we race a lot in New York, but occasionally you'll see a New York bred, you know, running in Kentucky or California or down in Oakland or whatever. Um, and, you know, so that's an example of, you know, maybe if you claim a horse that's at a certain level down there, you can take them to New York and because they fit different conditions, um, you can capitalize on that. Um, you know, the other thing with conditions is obviously when you're handicapping a race, um, you know, a lot of times when you're claiming a horse, you want to find the horse that's going to finish second, you know, that really impressive second, you know, maybe mm-hmm. coming at the end or just gets nipped at the end. Maybe it's going too far that day for that horse. And so, you know, it has a chance to get run down and you're going to save that condition um, and, you know, get to run it back there and be super live. So first thing I look for is conditions typically. Um, you know, the second thing that that I'll look for is obviously just the horse's form. Um, you know, I, I try not to take too many chances you know, with horses that have, uh, you know, have sort of fallen off or, or things like that. You know, the way I kind of look at claiming is, you know, they're always going to write 10 more races the next day, right? And, you know, a certain number of them are going to be claiming races. Um, you know, you don't have to, you know, stretch. Um, you know, you want to be, you know, super comfortable with the, the chances that you're taking. Um, and we've had a good amount of success with that from a claiming perspective. We've had very few horses that, you know, we claim that then we have to drop significantly or very few horses that we you know, claim that just don't run again, um, you know, because we are, you know, more safe around how we approach that, um, you know, and you, you might miss a few here or there, but again, they're always going to write more races. Um, there's always going to be another opportunity. So, you know, kind of, kind of think about it, you know, from that perspective as well. Um, and then, you know, we, we have had some success and I've had some success claiming Phillies. Um, and, you know, it's, it's definitely rewarding, um, you know, to kind of look, you know, not just at their form on the racetrack, but to look at their pedigree, um, you know, and, and see, you know, do they have the, the, the chance to have residual value on the back end as a broodmare? So, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm going to claim a, a filly for 40,000, you know, who's maybe stakes placed earlier in her career, um, you know, maybe has a couple of siblings that are stakes placed or stakes winners, you know, on a deeper page, 
you know, that 30,000 or $40,000 claim, you know, may have, you know, 25, 30, 40,000 in backstop, you know, so I know I can claim this horse if we have success at the racetrack, you know, that's obviously first and foremost, what we want to do, but we also have, you know, an out, um, you know, if, if, um, you know, the, the track, you know, um, you know, plan doesn't pan out. So, you know, those are kind of the primary things that I'll look at, you know, the condition, um, you know, the form of the horse. And then, you know, if it's a filly uh, or a mare, you know, what potential backstop do I have versus the claim price that I'm paying? And it is, of course, a different process when going to the sales itself. And you talked a little bit about the team. And I think that's kind of been a theme a lot of many of the guests that I've had on, too, that you really do need a strong team when going to the sales. Tell me a little bit about the the people that you've surrounded yourself and kind of the, the partnership that you formed as far as buying horses. Yeah. So uh, we use uh, Joe Migliori as our bloodstock agent. Um, you know, I've worked with Joe for, for a long time. Um, you know, one of the, the, the top young guys in the game, in my opinion, um, you know, super ethical, super honest, just, you know, uh, you know, completely above board, which, you know, in, in any industry, you want to make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that you can trust. And, you know, I, 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 I trust that Joe, uh, you know, has our best interests, um, you know, every time he kind of goes to a sale and, and buys on our behalf. Um, and, you know, I've seen that obviously over the years. And, you know, you also can see that when you have conversations with, with, with him at the sale, you know, just how the process goes in terms of narrowing down the horses, um, you know, and deciding who we're going to bidding on bid on and what our, you know, sort of price ranges are going to be and things like that. So, you know, Joe, Joe does a really good job for us. Um, he's growing his bloodstock business and I'm excited to kind of see where, where he's at, uh, you know, in five years or 10 years from now, I think he's going to be, you know, really far ahead in this game. So, so Joe's our bloodstock agent. And then, you know, we get our trainers involved, um, you know, as well, because uh, I think it's important, you know, when we buy horses, typically, you know, when we buy them, you know, we know where we're going to send them. Um, and we want the trainer to be a part of that process because they're looking at different things than Joe's looking at. And so they're going to provide, you know, a separate and different opinion in some cases. Um, and also we want to make sure that that horse is a good fit for their program, you know, because, you know, you can buy a horse at auction for a good amount of money, you know, send them down to Florida, get them broken, spend a good amount of money doing that. Um, and if you send that horse to a trainer and, and, you know, that particular horse maybe doesn't fit that trainer's program, you know, you can waste a lot of money and time that way. So, you know, we want to make sure that the trainer, um, you know, is, is on board, likes the horse, feels like it fits its program and, and is kind of bought into, um, you know, what we're trying to do. And so we always, you know, involve our trainers and, you know, our, our two primary trainers are Christoph Clement and Ray Handel. Um, and, you know, they do a phenomenal job at the sales as well. Um, actually, when I was at the uh, the Saratoga sale this year, Christoph said something that I thought was like really profound, um, <laughs> and I and I think was really interesting. You know, we we had narrowed down to you know a short list Joe had, and you know he's walk, walking Christoph along uh, around to see these horses, and you know Christoph was kind of going through and checking off the horses he liked and the horses he didn't like, and you know he he basically said I'm going to butcher you know this, but I'll, I'll get the general sentiment correct. <laughs> he he basically said something to the effect of anyone that tells you that you know they're going to pick out the next good horse, you know is kind of full of it. What you're trying to do is to limit or eliminate the mistakes. So his point, you know, I think in general was, you know, if you've shortlisted to, you know, 30 horses at a 300 horse sale, you know, he's trying to go through and find the eight to 10 that he feels like give you the least amount of opportunity to, to not hit. Um, because at the end of the day, horse racing, and in my opinion, you know, buying horses at auction is a numbers game and you're just trying to eliminate the mistakes and keep yourself alive 
you know, from a, a dollars and cents perspective to get that nice horse. Uh, and I thought that was a really interesting comment. And I thought it was a really interesting way to kind of go about it. Um, and so we like, you know, sort of to, to, to give our trainers the opportunity to, to, you know, have a, a pretty big say as well at the sales because of those sorts of things. You mentioned the sales kind of sometimes being a number numbers game as well. And obviously there are so many highs and lows in the sport of horse racing with a partnership with Adelphi racing. Tell me a little bit about how you've kind of tackled marketing horse racing to some people who maybe are not familiar with the game and some of those things that you have to take with a grain of salt or you buy a yearling and you have quite a bit of time to wait before he hits the races. How do you handle some of those things with some new people coming into the game through partnerships. Yeah, you know what? It's it's interesting, right? Because, you know, we have a mix of people who have owned, you know, a bunch of horses before. And then, you know, sometimes it's it's people that have never owned a racehorse in their entire life. And, you know, they could buy into a yearling in October. Um, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, that horse is not, you know, gonna run for, you know, nine months, you know, mm-hmm. if not more. So there's a pretty long gap between, you know, them putting in, you know, what in, in a lot of cases is a significant investment till when they're going to kind of get that payoff of, you know, seeing that horse on the racetrack running a race. And so, you know, for us, like it's, it's really about the communication between when they join and, and get involved in a horse. Um, and, you know, from that point till when they race. So, you know, we, we try to encourage and we take a lot of partners down to Ocala to see the horses, um, you know, as they're getting broken and kind of learning how to be racehorses before they ship up to New York. I think that's a really important um, you know, part of the process. Um, and the farms down there are phenomenal. You know, we, we have two farms that we typically send horses to Kinsman farm, um, and Kings equine, um, you know, set up differently, but both do a really, really good job. And if you like horses and you like horse racing, you can go down there and have a, a, a great morning. Um, it's just a lot of fun. And so, you know, I think getting people, you know, involved in the process from the auction, you know, to the actual, you know, first time they race is really important. And even though maybe there isn't the excitement or that like tentpole event of this horse is running today, there's a lot of things that happen, you know, between, you know, buying the horse and when they run, you know, the, the first time that, you know, saddles put on them, how they react to that, what their mental state is. You know, we have a couple of horses, um, you know, out of the tappet line of our yearling class, mm-hmm. you're always worried, you know, how crazy are they going to be? When like, <laughs> you know, so like there's, there's stuff to talk about, there's stuff to like kind of learn and dig into as they go throughout that, you know, process. And, you know, uh, Kinsman as an example, they love to give their early two-year-olds a break. You know, they, they kind of get them going they let them go fast and then, you know, they kick them out for a break and then they bring them out back again and train on. Why do they do that? You know, so we, we try to introduce the partners to kind of the, the thought process there you know, how the trainers see the horses as they, you know, kind of see them throughout the winter, you know, going in and checking on them every four to six weeks, you know, what does, you know, what does Christoph or Miguel think about, you know, the horses we have sent to them, you know, versus where they were when we bought them at the sale, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's all these, you know, parts of the process, they're actually quite interesting. And so we just try to kind of surface that um, and make that, you know, available, both in terms of like, experientially, if you want to go and actually experience it, um, you know, or, you know, um, if you just want to kind of talk about it, learn more, hear from the trainers, hear from the bloodstock agent, hear from the, you know, folks down in Florida at the farms, you know, about how the horses are doing, what they're doing, why they, you know, are kind of bringing them along that way. You know, all those sort of things are interesting. So just, you know, more, more or less, it's, it's just about communication, I think, and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, keeping people involved in that, what is a really, really interesting and fun process of getting them from, you know, the sale to when they're going to run 
their first race. And I know you said you started yourself involved in the game in a partnership capacity. Tell me a little bit about the desire to create something like Adelphi and offer that to other people. Yeah, I mean, so I, I started as a partner in a partnership. I had a, a phenomenal time with it. Um, you know, I partnered uh, with Sovereign Stables, as I said. Um, I was involved in a couple horses with Zilla. A lot of people probably know Zilla here on the East Coast. Um, I had a couple mm-hmm. horses with Little Red Feather on the West Coast because I used to go out to California a lot. Um, and you know, I just, I just love being a part of partnerships, um, you know, owning horses with other people and, you know, just naturally, I think, you know, four or five years ago when I sold my business and I was in a better financial situation, I could buy and sell my own horses. I was like, well, this would be interesting. Like, let me go do this. Um, and so I did, and and I had a good time with it. Um, but very quickly, um, thereafter I started to meet, you know, other owners at, you know, my trainer's barns and, you know, we started owning horses together. So like I, I very quickly moved back to the model of, you know, let me buy horses with other people. Um, and there's obviously a lot of, um, you know, strategic reasons to do that in terms of diversifying, you know, you know, being able to spread out your resources, buy more horses, you know, what we were talking about before in terms of it being a numbers game, there's that side of it. Um, but there's also just, it's just a lot more fun right? To own horses mm-hmm. with other people, to hang out at the track, to, you know, talk about, you know, where that horse is going to run next and handicap the race that they're running in. And should we, you know, if it's claiming horse, should we step the horse up or drop the horse down? Or like, there's just a lot of, um, you know, fun things about interacting with other people and owning horses. So, you know, myself and, and two other guys that I owned horses with, you know, sort of not in any sort of public partnership, but over the last four or five years, like privately, you know, we would take, I'd take a leg, I would take a half, they would take a leg, you know, vice versa and whatnot. Um, you know, we just got to talking actually right before COVID and said, you know, let's, let's start a partnership that, you know, is a little bit more boutique, a little bit more, you know, hands-on, you know, a little bit more, you know, like what we do together, the three of us, you know, with, and, and with other people kind of here and there in owning horses together that, you know, um, opens up that opportunity for people. So how many people do you have involved in Adelphi right now? Uh, how many horses are either on the track or getting ready to hit the track that, that we can keep an eye out for? Yeah, so we have about 35 partners right now. Um, we had, uh, up until we launched sort of this yearling class, we had uh, 16 partners. So we've added a lot with these new yearlings. Um, and I'm excited about that. Um, we have uh, two horses that are on the track right now. We just lost actually two horses in claiming races over the last month. Um, one out at Turfway and one here in New York. So um, we have an active claiming partnership, which has two horses right now in it. And we're looking to add a couple to that, you know, initial claiming partnership. And then um, we'll have another claiming partnership that we're going to launch actually next week. So I'm excited about that uh, as well. Yeah. So we we have, uh, you know, generally right now we have anywhere between like five and 10 horses. Um, and, you know, probably as we get into next year, our goal is to 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 kind of grow that to, you know, sort of the 12 to 18 range. Um, and from a partner's perspective, and this is one of the things that, that's really important to me and to us, you know, we don't want to have 300, 400 partners. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, it just makes it very difficult at that scale, um, you know, to have that sort of one-on-one communication. And, you know, like we've got, you know, partners on, you know, group text chats and things like that. And, you know, if you're in a bigger partnership, it's just, you know, just logistically impossible to do that sort of thing. So, you know, we're, we're trying to kind of land on, you know, a 50 to 65 sort of partner range. Um, you know, that's why we called it the Adelphi Racing Club. We want it to be more like a club, a group of people, you know, 
um, that know each other and get together and have a good time with the races and own horses together. And, and you know, we, we want it to be a bit more than just sort of like owning a percentage of a horse as an investment. It needs to be, you know, you know, for to, to make sense for us, it needs to be more of a group and a community. And that's what we're trying to trying to grow to. Mm-hmm. And what are some of your goals with that that club? Are there particular races or particular experiences that you want to be able to provide? Yeah, I mean, look, I think we want to run. Um, you know, it, 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 when I when I talked a bit about sort of owning horses with other people, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, beyond the, um, uh, the you know the, the side of it from a strategy perspective around diversifying, you know, and things like that a lot of the elements that I talked about were about having fun with other people right? Mm-hmm. around the game. Um, you know, going to events like the Pegasus next week, you know, we'll have, you know, eight to 10 partners there and we'll hang out and have a good time and, and awesome. you know, that sort of thing. So like from our perspective, we want to, you know, one of the goals obviously is to run horses where, uh, you know, it's fun to run horses, um, you know, and, and uh, uh, Joe Migliori will probably give me a hard time about this, but there's a, a bit of a difference between running a horse at Aqueduct and Saratoga, right? Like it, the experience is just different. So, you know, one of the things we're focused on with buying horses is, is, you know, buying horses that can run at those premier meets and in those, you know, places that, um, you know, that, that, you know, you can go and have fun and socialize and, and do those sorts of things. Um, so that's, that's a goal of ours. You know, we're, we don't have, you know, a goal of going out and running in the triple crown or, you know, going to the Breeders' Cup or things like that, you know, if that comes, right, and we hope that comes, that will be great. Um, but our goal is to kind of, you know, buy horses that can compete at the highest levels, that can run at those meets that, you know, everyone wants to run at, um, buy them in a fiscally responsible way, right? Like, you know, the way I look at it is, is if you're spending a half a million or more per horse, you know, at a sale, you're competing with people that, you know, they can spend whatever they want, right? It's not, you know, there's, it's, it's not, is this horse worth a million dollars or a million five or 900,000 or whatever, you know, they just have the resource to be able to spend whatever they want to get that horse. And, you know, so we want to compete sort of in a, in, in a range that's, you know, more in that hundred to 250,000 range you know, where you can get a horse um, that can compete at those levels. But at the same time, you're buying the horse in a fiscally responsible way and you're limiting your risk. And, you know, hopefully we can buy more horses in that range and have a better chance of one or two or three of them, you know, becoming, you know, that nice horse. So, you know, for us, it's not about setting like the huge, you know, high end goals. If they come, that's great. You know, what we want to do first and foremost is be, you know, responsible about how we're buying horses and, you know, set ourselves up to have fun and be competitive, you know, um, you know, over the long term. And again, you know, it's a numbers game, you know, hopefully we can, as a partnership, sustain ourselves long enough uh, to, you know, get lucky and get that really, really nice horse. Well, so, so excited to have guys like you in the game and um, really, really looking forward to seeing the year that Adelphi will have too. And, and Matt, it was so interesting and so fun uh, getting to, to pick your brain a little bit today. Thanks so much for coming on and good luck this year with all the runners. And I'll see you next week at Pegasus too. Um, I'm excited to get down where it's a little bit warmer than, <laughs> you know, the 18 degrees that it is here. So I, I cannot wait. Really happy to welcome in my next guest, CJ Johnson. You may know him from CJ Thoroughbreds, been involved in many capacities in the racing industry. CJ, thank you so much for taking a little time to join me today. No problem. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. 
Well, as I said, you've been involved in in many pieces of the racing industry, racing definitely kind of in your blood. Was it always kind of growing up that you knew that you would be involved in racing at this level? To be honest with you, um, not really. It was, I, you know, I grew up around the track and, and, um, and it was kind of funny. I went to college, I uh, went to the University of Arizona for a year and a half and was in the racetrack industry program and kind of I, you know, an 18 year old kid going into school, not really knowing exactly what he wanted to do, but figured this is what he wanted to do. And then I, I really got kind of burned out on it. It was funny. Um, and I transferred back, uh, home in state to Texas tech and I became a history major. And so, and it was kind of just like, you know, I don't know if this is what I want to do and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, after getting out of school, I, I kind of started doing my own thing and, um, I basically got sucked back into it. Um, I was always a little bit involved. Um, you know, my, my father owned part of a, a farm in Kentucky and, uh, we always had a couple mares and a couple runners here and there, uh, but nothing serious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd help out here and there. And then when the, uh, the opportunity at Kentucky Downs opened up, it was kind of a, uh, a, a last minute deal that they really needed some help to put together this live meet, uh, in 2012. And so I quit my job on, you know, like a week's notice, moved up to Kentucky and, and started doing that. And, um, when I kind of immersed myself back into it, you know, up there, it, it really brought the passion back and, and, uh, kind of in the middle of my tenure at Kentucky Downs, that's when we started doing our, uh, you know, we really ramped up our partnerships and our, our ownership mm-hmm. group. Um, and that's when we started putting together these and now we're up to about 40 something horses in training have, have a few mares in Kentucky and a few here in Texas. And, um, yeah, so it's basically, it's my life once again, but you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything else. And tell me a little bit about CJ thoroughbreds, about your ownership group, um, kind of some of the, the, the motivation behind it. Um, and, and some of the day-to-day things that you do to, uh, you know, get your horses to the races and, and all the success that you've had as well. Yeah, we, um, so we've got a lot of good friends, um, and it kind of started real local, uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area where, you know, they love racing and they, Mm -hmm. you know, don't know much about it. And so we started this, um, you know, this group in, um, I think our first year buying was, uh, 2017 and, you know, we bought six, uh, fillies and it, uh, we ended up with one of those being a multiple grade three winner, grade one stakes placed. And, Mm -hmm. and the whole thing was, you know, we're not, we're trying to have fun, win races, but be financially responsible. And that's why we, um, you know, the majority of the time we buy fillies because we're trying to get them black type and then sell them as broodmares. And that way, you know, we have some fun and everyone kind of, you know, at least gets something back. Um, and, but this year it was kind of funny. We had a partner come to us and say, look, guys, I want to I want to buy some Colts and, you know, let's go let's see if we can get a horse to the Derby kind of thing. And so, you know, that was kind of out of our comfort zone because, you know, when we're and and, and it's not just, we're managing everyone's money. We also, you know, throw in our own money. So we have our own skin um, in on all these horses, but um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting because he wanted to do this. So we reached out to the other guys and they said, yeah, we're, we're in, you know, we kind of let them know, Hey, look, this, you know, if these colds don't work out, it's, we're not going to get anything back for them. You know, they're going to, mm-hmm. they're going to end up as, um, you know, they're going to have a second career doing something else and, and we're not going to be able to, you know, show a return on your investment. Everyone's like, that's all right, let's just have some fun. So, um, and, and as yeah. you're well aware at the sales now, buying these, 
classic pedigree type colts you it's so hard to buy a quality um colt on a small budget so we partnered with uh three chimneys on a couple of them and then spendthrift on another one so yeah we've got um five decent ones that that i think uh they've got you know so far what it takes to uh they've got that classic pedigree and that physical but um then we also bought 12 fillies this last year um that are all in training as well and and so we've got you know, we've got a good group coming in, uh, two year now turned two year olds. And so basically what I do, I, you know, I don't live in Kentucky. I live in Dallas, Fort Worth area. So, um, I am in charge of kind of managing the stable. And then, you know, I've like, I got to go check up on the horses cause I'm not, you know, where they're stabled all the time. So like I'll be at Pegasus, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to Palm Meadows and Payson park and Gulfstream in the mornings just to, you know, lay eyes on them and see how they're doing and, and get reports out to the partners. Um, but yeah, so far we've, I, I, we've done pretty well. We've, I think we've had a stakes winner in every group we've bought. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully the, we can continue this momentum cause it's, it's been a fun ride and, and, you know, we've, I, we've already had a breeder's cup runner, um, you know, and, and like I said, grade one stakes place. We, this last year we missed a grade two by a nostril up at Woodbine with one, you know, so, um, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Everyone, you know, our partners are great. And, and, uh, like I said, I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I, uh, I saw Miss Alacrity, uh, with Wesley Ward this, this past year at Belmont and of course she won a stake as well. I know you've had a lot of success with Wesley, but you use a bunch of different trainers. Tell me a little bit about the trainers that you do have horses with and about, um, that diversity in, in the different barns that you use. Yeah, we're, we're real firm believers on, you know, not just putting every single horse with one guy. I know everyone kind of has their guy, um, you know, a lot of the bigger owners, but, um, you know, these guys, they, a lot of them have a certain skill set and they, and they train to, you know, they're better at certain things than others. And, mm-hmm. you know, if uh, they, they understand if a horse that we buy at the sale isn't maybe working out with them, we're going to move it to someone else. And it's nothing against them. It's just, you know, Hey, we might have better success. Someone else, like, for example, if it's a, you know, we have some bigger trainers that have a lot of horses and, and I understand the business, but if there's a horse that we have in their care and, and maybe she needs a little more hands-on, we'll move her to a smaller trainer. Um, we, you know, like I said, we use Steve Asmussen, uh, Wesley, Dale, Romans, but, you know, down in Florida, we use Cam Gambolotti, who's a derby winning trainer and the guy hasn't forgot how to train. You know, he's done an excellent job mm-hmm. with what we've sent him. Um, we actually, and, and, you know, we have a great relationship with these trainers. You know, Wesley trained um, this Tis Now Philly Forest named uh, Flying Aletha, and she mm-hmm. won on debut and was went to be stakes placed. And, um, you know, this year it was kind of – she had a little issue, and so we sent her down to Cam uh, just recently at Goldstream, and, and, you know, he's loving her so far. She, she might need that extra, you know, that extra care that, you know, a guy with only a handful of horses can give her. Uh, but we've also – you know, we'd like to support Texas as well. So uh, we've got a couple guys down here, Matt Bear, who is a former assistant to Buff Bradley. You know, he, he mm-hmm. took care of Groupie Doll, took her all over the country. He's a great trainer. He, uh, he gallops every horse that he has. And it's nice when, you know, you've got your trainer that can get on top of him and he can sit there and say, you know, something's not feeling right. Um, you know, for example, we sent him one and and he could tell from galloping her that something was off in her hocks. Well, we fixed that problem and she's back on track, you know. And then uh, 
so yeah, it's, it, we're very, very, I, you know, sometimes it is tough because you move them around a lot. They get used to a program and you move them and they, they, it takes a little more time to get used to the new program. Um, but you know, we've, we've had success doing it. And, and like I said, it's, it's, I mean, it's like a sports team, you know, some players are better coached mm-hmm. by other coaches and it's nothing against, you know, yeah. um, the pass trainer, but it's just, uh, we like to put them where they fit best. And also the track makes, makes a big difference too. I mean, as you know, going from New York to Florida, some of those horses mm-hmm. come from New York and they don't thrive in Florida. Um, and vice versa, you know, so, um, a lot of times the circuit they're running on makes a difference too. You talked about supporting Texas, and I, I had texted you this week because I saw a post of a, of a winner you had at Sam Houston that was a pretty special homebred. Um, tell me a little bit about that story because I think it's really an amazing one. Yeah, she, um, so basically, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, I'll make it quick, but we the, uh, <laughs> the dam of our winner at Sam Houston, um, her name was Gogo Lolo, and my oldest daughter, her name's Logan. So when my father owned part of that farm, uh, Richland Hills in Kentucky, this was back when uh, the, you know, Adina Springs, they would sell mares in foal on their farm, kind of. And, and my father loved Osma again, um, and he bought the mare in foal to, to Lolo. They fold her, and they put her in, in uh, the yearling sale, and he, um, with a buddy, loved her and bought her for, you know, I think like, might've been 10 grand, um, to be honest with you. And so we ran her, uh, you know, I got the name where we named her go, go Lolo after my oldest. She was, she, uh, was a very, she had a ton of heart and unfortunately she had a little ankle issue. She actually ran fourth in a stakes at Saratoga and probably with a better trip easily could have gotten third, you know? And so anyways, we, uh, we put her in a, I can't remember if it was like, you know, 35 or 50 claimer. She gets claimed away from us. Um, and then she bounces around, you know, kind of goes, she wins a bunch at Indiana, you know, and then this guy from Canada claims her and takes her to a Cinnaboya up in Manitoba. And so then she becomes champion mayor in Manitoba two years in a row. I mean, just, you know, wins uh-huh. every stakes race up there. And so then the guy was nice enough to sell her back to us when her career was done. And so we, we started breeding her, you know, and we've kind of learned don't name horses after kids because you're always (laughs) like interested in them. And, you Uh know, we've, you'll spend more than it, than it, than it, than you should on getting them back. And, uh, no, but he gave us a good deal. I think he sold her back to us for like 20,000. And, uh, so Mm -hmm. we made her a brood mare. Um, she had a dialed in at first and this is the tough part of the game but the dial didn't got kicked in the head in the middle of the paddock didn't make it and mm-hmm. so then um this we bred her a spitester and look we we didn't really choose the mating that well because we she needs some leg in her stallion and the spitzer is tiny and and when we breed we don't breed commercially we just breed to race and if it's a colt we'll sell them um but if it's a filly we'll keep her and you know hopefully keep her as a broodmare when she's done but anyways this little colt he was so small we couldn't sell him I mean, we would have gotten nothing for him. And uh, so we said, you know what, let's put him in training. And um, so we named him Spurley, and he's after a good friend of ours in North Dakota, uh, Jim Spurley, who was actually my father um, in college at Turf Paradise, was a groom. And Jim Spurley was his shed row foreman, who actually also worked for Lee Rossi, who trains Spurley now. 
So oh, wow. yeah, it's all kind of full circle, but um, yeah. So anyways, we decided to run this little guy and you know, the whole time Lee is telling me, uh, you know, he's not very big. He's correct. He looks good, but he can run, you know, he like, and the whole time we're thinking, all right, you know, he's going to be a maiden claimer or whatever. And uh, so we tried these maiden 25s up at Remington. He ran third after missing the break on debut, then ran second to a really nice horse in his next race. And so we were kind of like, well, we had a, there was a maiden 15 or a maiden special weight. And I was like, man, he's going to win the maiden 15 for sure. But you know, he'll get claimed and we won't get that much money. Let's just take the swing at the maiden special weight. And if he's, and if he's improving, like, you know, our trainer says he is, we, we should at least pick up a check, right. And just buy some time until mm-hmm. a maiden 25. And, uh, <laughs> sure enough, that little guy showed so much heart. He had every reason to quit in that race. You know, he gets floated out to the parking lot in between horses, bumped around and finished. And it was, I mean, it, it, that when you win with a homebred like that, it, it feels just as good as like winning a graded stakes race. I mean, it's cause you know, it takes so long once you get the mare in full, you know, and then the baby, you know, and then being a weanling and then a yearling and then it can go into training, you know? So, uh, the trainer's done a great job with them just being patient. It, it's just, it was so rewarding. I mean, it was late at night at Houston. I woke up the kids cause I was yelling and usually I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty good about not doing that, but I couldn't, I couldn't hold back on this one. So, it was good. Felt good. That's so cool. And I love that story. And, and I saw your post and just thought it was amazing and how things really come full circle. And you mentioned how rewarding it is winning with, with a homebred. And there are so many things that can go wrong along the way. And I mean, it has to just feel so great to see things go right, because I'm sure even this horse was not without his challenges. You mentioned the patience that was needed. I'm I'm sure there have been a lot of bumps in the road and being able to get that win just has to feel so sweet. Yeah. I mean, look, we, like I said, we don't own that many mares and um, Mm -hmm. I can just, I don't, you know, I don't want to get it, but it's, there's so many things that can go wrong in these big commercial Mm -hmm. breeders. I mean, look, I'm, I'm sure they insure all their, you know, mares that are worth half a million and all that kind of stuff, but we don't do that. You know, I'll just, I'll be honest, the earlier last year, we had a mare down here get hit by lightning. You know, we lost oh. one two days ago, she colicked, and she was about a month out from foaling. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's very, very, very tough. And you've got, you've got to be able to deal with it. And I'm a huge animal lover, and it's, it's the hardest part of yeah. the game by far. Um, but again, the highs are, you know, better than anything. It's, it's, I tell people it's the closest you can get to owning like a professional sports franchise, you know, without having a billion dollars. Um, and that's why, you know, this game is so great is, is, uh, is all the, you know, connections you make and sharing those events with people. You know, my dad and I talked right after the race and he was, you know, that was special for us. Um, Mm -hmm. and he, you know, we, we had a moment and it was, he was like, I'm so proud of you, son. This is all you, you know, you, you're the one who made this happen and all that. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen too often when you work with your dad, usually you're just complaining (laughs) to each other the whole time, but, uh, it was, uh, it was very good, very rewarding. Being such an animal lover and, you know, being some of the good guys and I know how you you look after your horses and just that story of tracking down one that was named after your daughter. How do you balance kind of that side of things with it also being a business? Because I do think that that is something that uh, maybe racing is under the microscope a little bit. And of course, it is possible to do both. And uh, how how have you kind of been able to focus more on the business side of things as well? Yeah, it's 
you know, I can tell you this much. We we probably would be, you know, we we could be a lot more profitable if we if we didn't do some of the things we've done. You know, uh, like we had a winner at Turfway earlier this year. She won a maiden claim for seventy five hundred earlier in the year. She had a knee issue, and it was one of those deals. Like, oh yeah, she could run, you know, but mm-hmm. we should probably do surgery. And she was a cheap claimer, but you know, we spent more than that seventy five hundred on <laughs> getting her right and getting her back to the mm-hmm. races, you know. And it, and and like, it's it is very tough. It's very because it's it's also mm-hmm. very tough to make money in this business and um you got to be smart about it but you still have to do what's right for the horse and, and you can't you got to do what's you know you got to be fair to them um you know there was a couple that we just sold at the january sale and we put them in you know the consigner said oh you know they 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 might have come up with an issue an ankle or something you know and they were maybe uh regressing a bit and so the consigners would be like well you can put them in as a racing or broodmare prospect and but we didn't think it'd be fair to the horse, to them, for them to be running, you know, way cheaper than mm-hmm. they should be, if you, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, because maybe that issue is still bugging them, and so we'd put them in as just a broodmare prospect, mm-hmm. and and because then they have to retire them and they're not allowed to race them, you know what I'm saying? Because the last thing mm-hmm. we want to do is sell a horse at an auction, and then an issue happens, and then we look bad, you know what I'm right. saying? Maybe a breakdown, and and then fingers get pointed to us. So you know we probably left money on the table by doing that, but we did what's right for them. And it's very tough. You just, um, I don't know. I mean, some people aren't going to do it. I understand. Um, I don't agree with it, but you know, luckily our partners, they understand and they are, um, they're sympathetic to it as well. And they approve, you know, we'll kind of say, Hey guys, I know, you know, this horse is, you know, it's going to cost a little bit, but blah, blah, blah. And, and everyone's okay with it. So it's tough. And then, you know, finding them a career afterwards, if it's a cult or a gelding, um, you know, that you got to do your due diligence there, obviously, um, mm-hmm. and find the right spot for them, take care of them. Well, I'm, I know, uh, you talked about the ups and downs and it is tough to make money in the game, but I know that those wins are so rewarding and obviously outweigh all of the other challenges. How rewarding is it to see a horse that maybe you've had some success with or that you've bred um, go through the sales ring and sell well, too? You mentioned the January sale that just happened. Tell me a little bit about that side of things. Yeah, that that's um, it's a lot of fun. And, and again, that's kind of an up and down deal. You know, we, we sold mm-hmm. a couple. Um, like we sold Compensate, who, who stakes place down at Gulfstream. She won last year at 25 to 1 in allowance. You know, we, we did pretty well with her. We sold her for 120000 um, as a uh, as a broodmare. And, you know, that one felt good to see her hard work kind of pay off like that. And mm-hmm. um, But, you know, I have a, I have a half-sister to um, the uh, winner of the Untappable down at Go- uh, Fairgrounds, the uh, North County. And she RNA'd at 50,000. So that was, that, um, she was a short yearling, you know, that I bred her and that was a little tough one. Um, but you know, that North County looks like a promising, um, Philly on the Oaks trail. So hopefully she'll go on and win the, um, I think she's going to run, not in this uh, prep coming up the next one. And, uh, you know, she's undefeated. So you've got that hope behind her. And that was why we were okay with RNA this one at 50,000, but no, it, it feels, it feels great when you can, you know, I mean, more so for the partners, just because they put their trust in, you know, in us and, and it feels good to kind of, you know, do well for them and, 
and everyone has a good time and, and, uh, you know, we can at least have something, you know, to come home with. And, and, uh, but no, it's, it's cause we do put a lot into it. We're not, you know, a lot of these owners, they just have racing managers and that kind of stuff. And, and we're, I mean, this is all I do. And I work, you know, 60 hours a week. I got to be out of town a lot. I got a wife who takes care of the kids and is great and understands, you know, I got to be at the yearling sale for three weeks straight. And, um, but you know, you work hard and you play hard and we have fun doing it. Is there anything that you're really excited about um, this year? You mentioned some babies that are, are going to be ones to look forward to. Anything you can give us a little teaser of or horses we should look out for? Yeah, I, you know what's sad is we haven't named all of our, our two-year-olds yet, and so it's kind of <laughs> tough when I'm just sitting here spurting out pedigrees. Um, but we have we, – because uh, we like to – you know, we give all the partners a chance to kind of help name them, you know, um, and mm-hmm. so – we're working on that. We always kind of finish it up last minute and we take a lot of pride in our names, but um, yeah, I'd say um, the Colts are very exciting because we've never done this before. And, and look, I'm used mm-hmm. to buying Phillies. And when I go up to a sale and I look at a Colt, I'm just like, it's a totally different animal, as you know, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're real good with your eye and you understand, you know, how the fit, the physical part of it all. And it's just, it's yeah. incredible seeing these animals, these colts, because I'm used to these dainty, you know, <laughs> kind of feminine fillies. And now all of a sudden we've got these monsters. Um, so I'm, you know, one's a, we've got a taffeta and into mischief, a gun runner, an American Pharaoh and a oh. Nyquist. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can do much wow. better than that, but yeah, no. but, um, and the fillies are kind of all, you know, that, um, we got a lot of nice ones too. We got a quality road, a, a couple Uncle Mo's, or one Uncle Mo, Liam's map. Uh, we actually I love flatter, and we've never bought a flatter before. We got mm-hmm. two flatters this year. We got a street sense. We got a pioneer of the Nile, Ontario bred. Who she? We ended up paying two hundred ninety-five for her and after the sale. That was one of the ones that everyone was coming up to me saying that was that was the buy of the day. You know, so mm-hmm. um, she's with Jimmy Bond in New York right now, and so um, hopefully. You know, she'll turn out to be something. But but we also just uh, sent a three-year-old of ours with Dale down to Gulfstream. Uh, she broke her maiden in a maiden special on uh, on uh, uh, Breeders' Cup Saturday at Churchill. And um, mm-hmm. we thought that was really impressive. And, and we tried her two turns in the Pocahontas. She didn't run so well. But anyways, we sent her to – we kept her up in Kentucky just because, I um, mean, Acacia, you know how tough Gulfstream is. We didn't really want to send her down there and blow her mind you know, just running mm-hmm. a really tough allowance. And so, um, we, she wasn't really thriving up in Kentucky. And so I kind of said, let's send her down to Gulfstream. She worked the other day in 47 and change and it was on XBTV mm-hmm. and it was just unbelievably smooth, but her name is canceled this. So we'll probably, nice. sh- you know, put her in an allowance next. Um, but she's, you know, one of our better three-year-olds right now that is kind of lightly raced but we're still we kind of got a slower start with our our now three-year-olds um usually you know we're already kind of uh moving along but it's uh we still have you know a few more to prove um i mean other than miss alacrity obviously the stakes winner who's kind of carrying the group Mm -hmm. right now but uh, (laughs) but she's laid up right now we just decided to give her the winter off and she'll come back you know uh, probably target keeneland in april or something but but yeah we i think we got a good group Yes, sounds like it. I'm really excited to see those cults in your silks, too. So we'll be keeping our eyes out. And um, CJ, thank you so much for taking the time and, and sharing such great stories and insight, too. Really, really appreciate having you on. No problem. Anytime. Thank you for having me.
And that will do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. A big thank you to my guests, Matt Kater and CJ Johnson, two terrific guys in the industry. And a really a pleasure to have both of them on and talk about uh, their partnerships, their different approach to the world of horse racing and um, sharing some great stories as well. You might have heard CJ mention the Keeneland January sale that just took place. Obviously, in last week's episode, we talked a lot about leading up to the Keeneland January sale and some of the big things to look forward to. The sale concluded and was a tremendous success. On that note, it is time for the Keeneland Roundup. Thanks to our friends at Keeneland. Keeneland's January Horses of All Ages sale concluded last week, yielding solid results headlined by the sales of Princess Lily for $750,000 and the promising three-year-old cult Belgrade for $700,000. Gross sales of $46 million were the second highest for the sale since 2008. The auction produced total sales of $46,341,000, $100 for 1,013 horses in the ring. That's an increase of 1.8% over last year when 963 horses grossed $45,522,100. Last year's totals reflect two prominent dispersals, a state of Paul Pompa Jr. and Samson Farm that combined to produce sales of more than $13.5 million. Keeneland also announced it will hold the April Horses of Racing Age sale following the final race on closing day of the spring meet. That's Friday, April 29th, so be sure to mark your calendar. The April sale will begin at 6.30 p.m. right after the races. The entry deadline for the print version of the April sale catalog is April 1st, but supplemental entries will be accepted right until the sale. 11 graduates of Keeneland sales have been honored as 2021 Eclipse Award finalists at the ceremony which will take place on Thursday, February 10th. These are headlined by Breeders' Cup Classic, Pegasus World Cup Invitational, and Whitney winner Nick Sko, Kentucky Oaks, Central Bank Ashland, and Alabama winner Malathot, Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile winner Life is Good, and more. A big thanks, as always, to our friends at Keeneland. Be sure to check out the January results and take a look at some of those graduates. Looking forward to big 2022 campaigns. Well, that's it for this week's episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. Thanks so much for joining. Please feel free to share this, as always, and I'll see you next time.